the theme <coughs> for the afternoon uh, talk <coughs> is <coughs> pardon me what are we to make of our lives <coughs> the the day after christmas day i was at home i had spent uh, <coughs> christmas with uh, Nashona, my uh, uh, daughter, and her son, my grandson, uh, Kai. And the following day, as a number of you who were in the West just spending normal post-Christmas day hanging out at home, when a friend telephoned, Christopher, if you watch the TV, you listen to the radio today, said, no, hadn't switched it on, he said, please look. Look what's happened. So, turn the television uh, on, and as many of you will know, possibly some of you far more intimately than I, the horror and the terror of what took place in uh, South Asia. And from that, day in and day out, as the uh, awful news uh, unfolded, of course the increase in the numbers of uh, people who had... Uh, lost their uh, lives, the devastation upon the communities, the nightmare for the survivors, their loved ones, their families and, and friends. And some of you here, I'm sure quite a few of you here, like myself, have travelled to those not so far away uh, corners, have been to Tamil Nadu, have been to Burma, have been to Phuket and along the uh, <coughs> west coast of Thailand, have uh, travelled through Sumatra and have been up in North Sumatra, etc. And uh, other areas and islands which were so cruelly and uh, brutally uh, devastated. And there's not only that external event, the events that go on and are still going on, but also the kind of impact that it has upon us, how we feel and think as human beings and as rather vulnerable creatures living on this earth. And I don't think, for me and possibly for you as well, that in any <coughs> reasonable or rational or religious way at all, we could possibly come up with any kind of uh, explanation of why the lives of so many people, directly and indirectly, are so affected by events. And people in their speculations will talk of acts of will of God, or will give scientific uh, explanations, or talk of <coughs> karma, etc. And I'm sure you and I, when we've listened to all of that and felt and thought about it, none of it seems to fit. None of it makes any real sense at any kind of level other than these events happen. And sometimes when they happen with such devastation, it generates for us, and hopefully for <coughs> all of us, such an impact, as it were, within ourselves, that the response, the natural and human response is, what can I do? What can, I, what can I do? And I hope all of us in the subsequent days to all of this have found some ways and means of 
compassionate action and gesture which responds. And even though what you and I do is literally a, a drop in the ocean of all that takes place, but every drop, of course, uh, makes up the ocean. And I found for myself, and perhaps those of you who are uh, in the West at, at the time with the access to television and radio and internet and so forth, that but I found for me too that there are times when the level of human suffering is so great, so pervasive and uh, devastating, that the heart can only absorb so much. It can't just keep taking it in. And there's a point where if you and I absorb too much information, too much pain, too much sorrow and grief from outside, even through the media itself, that it begins to cripple us. It begins to make <coughs> us feel despair, to feel anxiety-prone. <coughs> and when that happens in the heart, then of course we start having to take care of ourselves because we've been overwhelmed. We can't cope with what we've been told. And some of you will know very personal stories from the tsunami. And then there's not only the, the, the larger picture of what has taken place, but you will know, as I know, of people who were there, people who were going there, people who are in that region who intentionally have gone there afterwards to give uh, support to others. And of course we feel <coughs> and feel concerned for others as well. And so sometimes to keep the heart open, which is the enormous challenge, <coughs> it requires from us an ability to receive to accommodate painful information, but to know the limit of it. Because too much of it, then we can't give. Too much of it, we have no energy left, no <coughs> passion left <coughs> to serve, to share, to, to uh, respond. <coughs> and if I may say, I wrote something, and it's just one of those small outlets that one finds one, that one uh, uh, need, needs to do, and I just want to, uh, uh, if I may, re read it to, to you. <coughs> and, 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 a, and a little uh, extra comment that goes uh, on with it. And then I have a rather nice story to tell you about a monk and a tiger. But I'll, don't go away. <coughs> It's called The Day the Earth Shook. We have shed enough tears to fill the great ocean. A huge wave of sorrow has been let loose and a tide of terror has swept across our populated earth. The sea has unleashed an innocent brutality casting from life untold numbers of people of souls. Only despair and death haunt survivors who hug the sea that swept them away, a cathartic outpouring, choking out lives. Plagued by natural forces, the frenzy crashed upon every living thing in sight, and when the earth shook, so our hearts shook in its wake. Our beings quivered with anguish as we also became exposed to our own vulnerability as small sentient creatures 
living in the shadow of titanic forces. We are humbled in the face of an unprecedented tragedy, not knowing how to respond when the earth shook to its core and our heads shook with horror. Are we not all a human family, a sanger of vulnerable souls on our collective journey through birth, ageing, pain and death? <coughs> Isn't everybody our mother, father, brother, sister, son and daughter? Are we remembering the tide of death will come one day to sweep us away? Bronze leaves <coughs> tremble in the autumn wind. The candle flame flickers by the open door. The bird gets pulled along the air currents, while the fearful tremble on the edge of unrelenting sorrow. Are we allowing ourselves to shake in the core of our being? Are we willing to experience the pain of others? Or will we quickly slip back into an indifferent, mundane and self-enclosed existence? Let the inner core's powerful inner forces transform us, purify our perceptions, to show that human nature has power too, to meet the tide of terror with the tide of generosity. It is only when we act that we recover our humanity. Then, and only then, something in the core of our being forces us to realise that we are all in this together. And hopefully, hopefully in the terrible tragedy and the nightmare of it all, that something for each and every one of us reminds us that as human beings on dear earth, nationality, ideology, religion, politics, <coughs> and all that which so easily divides is inconsequential compared to the preciousness of human life and that we are all in this together. <coughs> and if we understand this in life, we've understood something about intimacy. Just after, I, um, a few days later, six or seven days later, I was having a cup of tea with a good friend, a cup of tea. I, li in, I don't like herbal tea, and I rather like the way, if I may say, that it's pronounced by sometimes cooks and Indian friends, like the family I stay with, they, they, they don't say herbal tea, they say horrible tea. <laughs> and I, I agree completely. <laughs> I, I like tea, not horrible tea. <laughs> so I was having lunch, um, uh, her, a real tea, a genuine tea, with a dear friend of mine in Totnes, in where I live. And I... Uh, <coughs> We're speaking a little bit about the tsunami. And I said to her, I'd written a letter to the Independent, which is a national daily uh, 
newspaper. And I just mentioned briefly the content uh, of it. And it, uh, I'll uh, re read it to you. And uh, she said to me afterwards, Peter, why, do you, why, why do you write such a, a, a letter? What's the point? The, he, that's the British Prime Minister, just doing what he does and you just do what you do, uh, etc. And uh, I looked as, at her as though she had just fallen off a supermarket trolley. And, um, and sometimes we often hear the language of, oh, to accept things as they are. This is not Dharma teaching. It is not Dharma teaching. Dharma teaching is about seeing things as they are. Seeing things clearly. Sometimes that seeing of things uh, clearly requires acceptance, yes. Sometimes that seeing of things clearly requires a response. We hope our response will be with love. We hope our response will be concern. And therefore the response is to see things they are, as they are and to change them. It may require an initial acceptance that as human beings, as men and women of the earth, we have the opportunity to see and to act, to see and to respond, to see and to change and to transform. <coughs> Dharma teaching, not a teaching of passive uh, acceptance. It's a misunderstanding. So, I say that because then it justifies the letter, you see. <laughs> oh, life. This was written six days after. The, the British Prime Minister was on holiday with his industrialist friends in some swimming pool somewhere. Where is our Prime Minister? I even asked that when he's at home, but anyway. Where is our Prime Minister? Has he no comprehension of the terror this tide of death has unleashed upon the communities of Asia? Does he not know that hundreds of thousands of British citizens have their roots in Bangladesh, Burma, Indonesia, India, Maldives, Malaysia, Sri Lanka and Thailand? Does he not know that thousands of British families are spending sleepless nights waiting for news of their loved ones? The Prime Minister should be here in this country. He should be addressing the nation. He should be talking to leaders of the Buddhist, Christian, Hindu and Muslim faiths who give support to those dealing with fear, anxiety, grief and sorrow. Our country has a long history of association with this region of the world. The Prime Minister should be speaking to the business community, the rich and the powerful, to get them to donate large sums of money and goods. He should be speaking to the nation to encourage all of us to dig deep into our pockets. He should be speaking to the charities, the relief agencies and the army of workers doing their best in Asia for these wonderful people <coughs> who live so close to the earth and close to the ocean and have paid such a heavy price. Where is our Prime Minister? And sometimes small gestures, a letter, whatever. Whether or not it makes a little difference or a major difference, we don't know. But not to respond. Not to act. I wonder if something is missing. 
that we've kind of pulled into our own self-enclosed world and we've missed the intimacy of all things and with all things. So the issues, what matters? What is significant in our connection and relationship to life? And as I say, the good, the beautiful, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, the foolish and the unwise, and those who cause harm and those who doesn't, the tide makes no difference, it will take all away. <coughs> but should that, since you and I are here, stop us from taking a good, hard look at ourselves? Because sometimes you and I, in our daily life, we feel the tides running inside. We feel the waves coming up from the past, impacting and kind of exploding upon the, the beach of our consciousness in the present. How do you and I attend to that? How do, you, how do you and I deal with that? The outer sometimes is a little of a metaphor for our inner. And what's the relationship of this kind of uh, uh, teaching to that? And sometimes you may notice in your time and days here, all of us, that there are areas of our life which right here and now truly require and deserve from, some, from us some real immediate attention. It won't go away. You can meditate morning, noon and night. You will hang around in the corner. As soon as your back is turned, it will be back like a rocket. And sometimes we know, just in one single day of being here, there are things which are unattended to, which need <coughs> to be attended to. How are we going to integrate all of that? How are we going to work with, with all of that? You sit in the meditation hall, you walk up and down, you do your standing meditations, you eat your lunch. And there's something which is troubling. And it's repeating itself again and again and one tries to get in touch with the breath <coughs> in touch with the walking or whatever and we say, we think this event from my past, whatever this <coughs> past may be keeps coming in it's unresolved I can't find any real inner peace because this issue, whatever it might be about, <coughs> other, oneself, past, near past, distant past, it's just not resolved. <coughs> Where are you going to find? What's going to bring about some resolution? Because until some things are resolved, they will haunt the life. They're like the shadows of life which keep replaying grossly and subtly because something is not clear with us. Dharma teachings are about, put it in Buddhist language, about ending that karma. And there is an end to it. We think, this is the great terror of thinking, because we think about something, we think and we believe that because we think about it, <coughs> we're interested to end it. Oh, God, 
If that was true, we'd all be fully enlightened lifetimes ago. Because we think about something is no proof of anything except we keep thinking about it. There is no indication whatsoever there's a drop of interest in resolving it. It's just a pathetic human soap opera. <coughs> and just watching one of them is bad enough. <laughs> so we can't use the thought and all the talking about how long I've got to do something about this, how long will it go on, mm -hmm. I really must act about this, whatever. We can't use the thought as any indication whatsoever that there is any real interest in resolution. In fact, it's one of the mind's best and primary strategies to keep something going. That the fact that we keep thinking about it is the very proof we're not interested in ending it. Things work in reverse. <coughs> we imagine <coughs> Some of you, as you sit here, you may think of something. Sometimes it's not something, it's, it's someone. <laughs> and you say, oh, this person has, whatever, affected my life. Difficult, painful, you may, may have access to this person. person may be in the hall, God bless them. <laughs> and maybe much further afield, living or dead, we don't know. And something's not clear, it's not resolved. And we want to find some ways and means to come to peace with it, whatever it might be. Where's the voice going to come from inside? What is it that I really need to be truly clear about? Sometimes, the voice which is reactive, which sustains the thinking, is anger. One blames that person, what he or she said, or didn't say, did, or didn't do, whatever it might be, and the voice of anger. The very anger is the fuel for continuity. The very anger is that which puts wood on the fire, therefore has to keep ensuring its continuity. And aren't we tired of just being angry with the voices from the past? <coughs> aren't we sick to death of just keep blaming? <coughs> when are we going to mature in a way as a human being? When are we going to ask ourselves, I don't, I don't care what the situation <coughs> is, and whatever it is, believe me, in 30 years of being a small servant of the Dharma, I've listened to every story imaginable, and even those that are not. And what is it? When are we going to make our minds up and say to ourselves, <coughs> I'm tired of being angry with? It might intensify the anger. It might resume the thinking stronger. One might go through more waves of reactivity. But there's a small voice. It's a whisper, as we were hearing from Gemma. It's a whisper of sanity. 
the very willingness to ask the question, when am I going to stop being angry with? Why? Because you who are angry is you who are burning up inside. It's your pain. You are still giving this person or persons, this situation, authority <coughs> over your emotional life by being angry with them. I don't care what it's about, what it's about. You hurt yourselves, you, you, you burn up inside yourselves through this. Sometimes it's fear. And behind and underneath the anger there's always fear lurking around. They say, what is this fear? Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid to say no to this person? Why am I afraid to say I don't know? Why am I afraid to communicate clearly as possible? And when we live in the fear of another, I don't care who it is, when we live in the fear of another, that fear is like the anger, the perpetuation for the continuity of the thinking about. So there's no peace of mind because we are trapped in the twin forces of fear and anger. What will show me I am not afraid? What will help to emancipate me from fear? And sometimes in our days here, we really need to catch it, if we can, not easy, I, I understand, as early as possible. And as soon as you notice some wave of anger coming up about the past, some, some fear, whatever it uh, might be, where you know you're not being true to your being, you're not being true to your perception. Perhaps the first core fundamental question. <coughs> Am I willing to see clearly and not to feed this anger and fear? And some will listen and say, oh, because it sounds so simple. Everything sounds so simple for those who don't want to listen. We've got to listen to the deeper voice which is outside the box of the fear and the anger. Therefore, we ask ourselves, can I look at this situation without any fear or anger? Therefore, so I, so I can see it clearly. I want to understand. I want to see it clearly. Perhaps I need to understand where that person is coming from. I need to be clear about it. Or I need to be clear about where I'm coming from. And sometimes in our meditations, which may not concern anybody else, we just look at our past and we say, oh my God, I should have done this. Oh God, and we sit here beating ourselves up for all the things that we didn't do. Yawn, yawn. And one can spend one's whole life <coughs> in <coughs> permanent attack on oneself. I mean, we are <coughs> the strangest creatures on earth. What intelligent human being would wish to spend his or her life in permanent attack on oneself? 
And we can keep living in the storyline of the past. I should have. Why didn't I? Blame, blame, blame. Rather than this is how I was in the past. Period. Because if we can't have some peace with our past, what hope is there for peace with our present? Please try to catch the reactivities that take place as early as possible for your inner peace. Anyway, I'll get back to the tiger story. Rather nice. So, last, this is a bit of background to this. When was it? Sometime last year, anyway. I was sent a book to, to read. The ex-monk inside <coughs> of Christopher really enjoyed reading it. It was called uh, The Buddha in the Jungle. And a... What's her name? Kamala Tiavanich. Kamala Tiavanich. Um, engaged in research in uh, Thailand about the uh, Buddhist monks of Thailand, mostly from the mid-19th century, 1850s or so, to 1960s or so. And the way of life of the Tudong monk, the wandering monk, the monks on yatras, pilgrimages, walking, walking. And through her research, she wrote this uh, delightful uh, book. And mostly around the monks' relationship with the villages, but also with the animals, the tigers and the snakes and the scorpions and the spiders and uh, the <coughs> buffalo and uh, all, all of that. And in my um, years as uh, a monk, I certainly noticed in the uh, monasteries and when on the yatras, on the pilgrimages, on the walks, how much those in the uh, wanderer's life love creatures. It is better for a very intimate relationship uh, with them. And most popular, very fond of snakes. One gets a rather a nice connection with the snakes. I'm not quite sure why, but anyway. So, <coughs> talking about fear and dealing with uh, fear, among the many stories there, was one of a wandering monk, and incidentally one of the other monks, the villagers said to him, where's your temple? And then he pointed down to his feet, and he said, this is my temple. His, his body is the temple, his <laughs> body is the monastery. So the monk, forever after, I rather liked it, <coughs> became known as Two Feet Monastery. <laughs> rather nice. Anyway. So, one of the monks, <coughs> talk about being without fear, went into a stream to take a bath, or a river, or whatever, not knowing and not realizing that in this uh, river it was the home of crocodiles. So, he's standing there, 
mindfully, I'm sure, good Buddhist monk, you know, taking a bath, and then gliding through the water with one rather large crocodile, seeing lunch straight ahead. <laughs> They're not vegetarian, you know. And reached the stomach of the good monk. Uh, most of us would have a few sensations standing <laughs> up to our waist in the water with a, a crocodile gliding uh, towards us. And it came right up to the, uh, the monk. And the thought occurred to me, my God, if it opened its huge, huge jaws, God knows what it might be holding on to at the bottom, if you see what I mean. Not that monks have a particular interest in that part of their anatomy, but <laughs> nevertheless, I'm sure they feel a little connection. And, the, and the, the monk, rather than panic, or just stayed steady in the face of what is. Put his hands on the top of the crocodile and just stayed steady. And the crocodile just stayed steady. And then the crocodile, whatever, got bored. <laughs> Went off uh, uh, else, elsewhere for a different menu. And the monk gradually withdrew from the water. You can imagine, if he any, any panic, he was dead. Legs and arms would have been ripped off. And one of the villagers spotted the monk. And went back and told the people in the village, my God, I just witnessed something just incredible. What was it that the, 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 the villagers asked? Please teach us about loving kindness and equanimity. Wow. Please teach us about loving kindness and equanimity. Equanimity is to be even-minded in the face of anything. You think, of the, you think of the authority that the monks got. You know, wouldn't you be all ears to anything at the moment? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mantra, yeah, 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 anything. <laughs> Staying steady in the face of. Two or three months after uh, reading this, I bought my copy of The, uh, of the Independent, which is a, a, a daily newspaper and the only one I can stomach. And there was a two-page article called The Temple of the Tigers. And you will see there the uh, abbot. And beloved tigers being somewhat of a threatened uh, species. <coughs> Some of them times they, they get sick. And somebody brought a young tiger to the monastery. So the beloved monks started taking care. And then the people in the village, they see another tiger that needed help or was old or sick, and they bring another one. Now there's several of them there. <coughs> and so there you've got a picture of the uh, good abbot with his hand in the mouth of the tiger. I'm showing you this because if any of you are going to Thailand and you want to test your equanimity, your metta, to see if you've really developed it, go here. This is the place to... <coughs> and send me a postcard <laughs> alright so sometimes with life if you and I have engaged in a practice 
where he, where he said, I am tired of living in fear and anger towards events of the past. <coughs> I really want to be able to look at what was clearly for what it was. Acknowledge that these things happen, that life isn't made to fit in with my plans, that I can never expect other people to fit in with my wishes. And my expectations and pressures on others can be far beyond what the person is able to do. My expectations and pressures and expectations and pressure on others may be far beyond what others can do. I may be asking as a human being far more of others than I have ever had the courage to ask myself. If you and I can get a little clarity with this over the days, then perhaps we'll be able to put our hand in the mouth of the tiger. Perhaps we'll be able to stay steady when the forces of life come and respond wisely and clearly to them. Because we have said to ourselves deep, but the deep heart response inside of ourselves, there is enough fear and anger in this world already. I do not want to add one more drop to it. I do not want to feed it in any other way. And if I take on board that kind of a challenge and exploration, I express, as the Buddha said, something noble about one's life. That we can be out of the shadows of fears and anger. Sometimes, finally, with the days, <coughs> Sitting, no fear and no anger. Marvellous. Brilliant news. I just, uh, the small group today, lots of joy and <coughs> insight and uh, realisation. I thought, marvellous. God, I hope the rest of the retreat's like this morning's group. But somehow I'm, yeah. And all credits to uh, Martin and Galit for all the good <coughs> support, because this was the group from the previous uh, retreat. And when things are clear, no pressures from the past. No problems arising in consciousness from the past. When you are clear, appreciate it. Be clear as you can that you are clear. Be as clear as you, as you can. You are really at peace with this moment. Be as clear as you can that you have no demands on life. No desires on life. Really acknowledge it. Deeply, 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 deeply. So you can rediscover it easily, easily. That does something precious for our existence. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live steady in the truth of things. May all beings go beyond the forces of fear and anger. So let's have our quiet minute together, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs>